So I'm Kiresha Abdul Karim. I'm the Associate Scientific Director of CAPRISA, the Center for the AIDS Program of Research in South Africa. And a lot of my life in the past three decades has been around HIV infection. So I guess that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Welcome back to Africa Science Focus with me, Michael Kaloki. And this week, as you've just heard, we catch up with the extraordinary Kuresha Abdul Karim. Professor Abdul Karim is a leading expert in HIV and AIDS, which have plagued Sub-Saharan Africa for more than 30 years. She was there from the outbreak of the epidemic, and over the years has taken on many roles in the field, from Associate Scientific Director of the AIDS Research Center, Caprisa, to UNAIDS Special Ambassador for Adolescents and HIV. She is also a multi-award winner, most recently gaining the highest honor from the Royal Society of South Africa. And along with her research partner and husband, Salim, Professor Abdul Karim's groundbreaking work on HIV transmission has been praised for contributing to the reduction of HIV infections in Africa and around the world. But to find out how Professor Abdul Karim got to where she is now, we need to go back in time. As our reporter, Dashon Moodley, discovers this amazing story began shortly after Professor Abdul Karim finished her undergraduate degree. Could you take us back to that period in the early 90s, late 80s, when you started to get involved in HIV research? Yeah. So actually, in 1981, I finished my first degree. Um, at that point where my interest was, there were two immunologists in the country. One was in Joburg and one was in Pretoria. And I got onto a bus and I got to this immunologist's office and I hung out there. And so uh, he realized I'm not going anyway after two weeks and said, OK, come, <laughs> let's see what we can do. Then a microbiologist, Professor Abdul Karim, was studying health issues relating to the immune system. That's our body's complex network of defenses that kicks in to protect us from infection and disease. And while she was stationed at the South African Institute for Medical Research, an emerging and poorly understood field of health caught her eye. And the focus, though, there was um, increasingly around autoimmune diseases, which is a very different facet about the same defense system, instead of defending you, starts to attack you. So what is that trigger for that attack? And towards the end of my time there, we started to hear about AIDS particularly from the U.S. and, and increasingly in, uh, at that stage in gay men. Professor Abdul Karim traveled to Colorado in the United States. There, she learned that AIDS was appearing among many communities. But back home in South Africa, there was still very little data on the disease. And I got to meet a whole lot of people who were doing AIDS research, or what it was called in Slim's disease, so on my return to South Africa in 1989, I said, why are we not hearing about HIV in Southern Africa? So what did South Africa look like back in the 1980s? We are looking at an emerging problem in the general population. And you've got all this apartheid legacy. <laughs> and at the same time, the anti-apartheid movement is very strong and growing. Professor Abdul Karim wanted to step away from laboratory-based research and work more closely with the communities and the people being affected by AIDS. 
she knew that HIV and AIDS were more likely to be prevalent in black communities. But she needed data. And to get the data, she needed blood samples. At that time, widespread testing was taking place to monitor malaria. And Professor Abdul Karim convinced funding bodies to give her access to the anonymous samples. And so that was the first population-based survey, one of the early population-based surveys in Africa. And we were able to uh, find and establish in 1990 that HIV, the prevalence, was less than 1%. But when I did the gender analysis, I found that women had four times more infection than men. And then I took it one step further and I did an age and gender analysis simultaneously. And what I saw was the stunning picture that I show at every presentation I do. By age 15 to 19, women have six times more infection compared to their male peers. And that you only start to see HIV infection in men around the late 20s. The first question you ask is why? Actually, the source of infection in young women is men, 25 to 35. So if the men only had sex with women who were in their age range peers, uh, then we would not have seen the epidemic we did. But also, when you're 20 year old and you're dependent on a man to provide a whole lot of things and your very uh, survival depends on that, you're not going to argue about, are you going to use a condom or not? And that whole notion of the social challenge of, um, of uh, power disparities and, and agency, we, uh, the solution was to look at technology that would empower women. How did people respond to you? How did your peers respond to you? Being a, a, you know, an Indian woman in a, in a country that is still largely segregated, is fairly patriarchal at the time and doesn't recognize the role of women. What was that experience like for you to be standing on these podiums and, and saying, well, look, the problem is you men at this age group? I get so enthusiastic and excited about science and new ideas <laughs> and what I'm doing. And like, I'm so immersed in it that I forget like my own identity and oh, I'm <laughs> this or that. I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, I'm a brown woman or whatever. So when I go into a community and I'm engaging with whoever, I'm not even thinking about myself in terms of how you just described it. How, how much more do you now know about the virus that causes AIDS, you know, what it does to the body and how do we help women fight it? Yeah. So we have learned a lot. I mean, first off, AIDS that was inevitably fatal is now a chronic manageable condition. So we haven't stopped viral replication in a human being, but we're able to control it so that they can live a normal life. But in terms of preventing the HIV infection, particularly sexual transmission, it remains a challenge. What we're seeing in the, um, in the prevention landscape for men and women 
is a menu of options that are coming in, but particularly for women, options that look very much like contraceptive options. So, you know, we have about 12 contraceptives. You can choose what you want, a two-monthly injection or a three-monthly injection or an annual implant or a three-year implant or a five-year implant or a daily tablet. And we now even have male contraceptive options. And so you've got the barrier methods with the condoms still playing a role in terms of fertility control and disease prevention. And the more options we provide to individuals, the more likely we are to see when people are at risk that they have an appropriate way to protect themselves. The 2020 targets that were set by UNAIDS was that we'd have 500,000 new infections. Well, in 2020, we had 1.5 million new infections globally. That's three times where we needed to be to give you some indication how off target we were. And it's not all attributable to COVID. We were off course before COVID. <laughs> when, you, when you juxtapose that time to COVID and the pandemic that we're dealing with now, one thing sort of strikes me is that, you know, you may have the science and you may have the research, but that doesn't always combat the rhetoric. People just simply don't choose not to believe what you're saying. How do you deal with that? We've seen countries where leadership have left let the population and the public down. That's not something that happened in South Africa. From the outset, even before we saw our first cases, the president responded strongly. The Minister of Health responded very strongly. Those family meetings and those press briefings every day on TV and then having the scientists coming on and doing their uh, slideshows with the, with the new science, that's unparalleled. That is truly, I have not seen it in any other country. And we interact with people across the globe. That's not happening every way. And sometimes we get a bit complacent. Sometimes we get a bit inward looking. And the reality is that we are, none of us are islands. We are because of people around us, whether they family, whether it's colleagues, whether it's friends, that we all exist and we are who we are because of others. And if, if we act in a public health threat as though it doesn't matter what happens, then I think that's the tension that we're picking up. But there are also issues of trust. So what we're seeing in COVID around this tension around what is true, what's not true, who you believe, who you don't believe, whether you choose to be vaccinated or not, are not restricted decisions or defined decisions that are being made. It has a past and a history, and it's a convergence of a set of things. And, and so that's why these engagements are important. See, I don't have a problem with differences of opinion. In fact, differences of opinion is central to good science. And, and when we all, as scientists, if we all think the same and do the same, we will stagnate because it's like a sheep mentality, just follow whatever. But because we are so critical and we think and we review things and we debate and we discuss, and the public doesn't see a lot of this, but it's a fundamental part of, of, of science and knowledge generation. 
I mean, it really is a remarkable journey from where we started to where we are now. Um, you know, to have these tools available to treat and prevent HIV. Um, and it's a remarkable career that you've had, you know, over this time spanning when there was a large amount of stigma around HIV and HIV research to now where it's, like you say, just a, a chronic disease that's manageable. Um, is there something that still keeps you up at night, though? Oh, lots, lots of things. And I, I think we can't allow COVID to wipe us out. <laughs> Each time we deal with pandemics, we get better in terms of the tools. And because of the way we responded to HIV, enabled this rapid pivoting. And scientists who are studying those viruses, it's what fast-tracked us in terms of this unprecedented thing of having six efficacious COVID vaccines in less than a year. I mean, it's like kudos to humanity that we've evolved to that level that, that we could take a global threat. And within days, we had the diagnostic test set up. You know, in HIV, that took us four years. <laughs> and, and this we did within days. And this whole open sharing platforms that we have, for me, it's uh, for women, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We have a way to go. We're still seeing in Eastern and Southern Africa, young women, 15 to 24 years, are less than 10% of our population. But one in four get infected. The issues around gender power disparities fundamentally need to be addressed. The issues of inequalities that render some communities and populations more vulnerable than others. And so these are both opportunities and challenges that we have. So we've made huge progress. We can't drop the ball on HIV. There's still a way to go for a cure, for a vaccine, for making sure we get those things, uh, preventing HIV infection, the advances, scientific advances. But at the same time, when new threats come along, we can't drop the ball. What a journey. Today, an estimated 37 million people around the world are living with HIV, and Professor Abdul Karim continues to push to protect at-risk populations and create a world free of the disease. That's all we have time for for today on Africa Science Focus. If you want to find out more about Professor Kuresha Abdul Karim, you can head to the SciDevNet website, www dot s c i d e v dot n e t catch up on all africa science focus episodes on your favorite podcast app and don't forget to leave a review today's program was produced by harrison lewis and edited by fiona broom with reporting from dash and moodley africa science focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. I'm Michael Kaloki. See you again next week. This program was funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York.